0: Well, it's a pleasure to be here uh, with you today, uh, and just to say that uh, actually, I, I, I appreciated the exhortation that Linda gave you about the truth. God has determined that the truth will set you free. Um, because this is what it's the heart of God. This, one of the things that's so of the many things that's so wonderful about God is that he desires our liberty and our freedom and our abundance of joy. And so when people think about, well, following Jesus means lots of restrictions, I can't do that, and I can't do this, and I can't do this, not realizing that anything by which God instructs is not for our limitation, but is for our freedom and for our joy and uh, the truth. Uh, that will set us free. And again, the testimony that singing a line in a song that might have been difficult for you, but understanding the goodness of God and His amazing plan for us. Well, the Bible's full of that kind of instruction, and uh, this week we gathered uh, emerging uh, leaders and elders in training and all of that, and we, Linda and I talked about marriage. Again, going right straight to the Scripture that demonstrates and gives us directives by which we can fully enjoy each other in our marriage relationship. So the Bible speaks to every area that touches our life with the intent and purpose that we would enjoy freedom and an abundance of life. It's not, oh dear, God's commanding us to do this, another prohibition. Uh, taking away from me what would be, uh, I would really enjoy. well, that's not the case at all. So with all that in mind, I want you to know I 'm going to talk about money. Does money touch your life? Yeah, it kind of does. I mean, how many of you have any money whatsoever? Well, I want to see the hands again. How many of you have any money whatsoever? Okay. I have one of these. It touches your life. And, and God has a, a lots of instructions about money. But again, it's for the purpose of our freedom and of our joy and how we cannot be enslaved to various things that are destructive to our life. It's interesting to read uh, that in, in, uh, throughout the Scripture how much the Bible talks about this. Jesus talked about it quite a great deal. And in Luke 15, we have all these parables, you know, stories about money. Luke 15 and 16, it's a collection of stories about money. But that's just one part of the Bible, and Jesus is teaching about it because the whole Bible teaches about it. So he talks about the prodigal son. Remember, he wanted to get on with life. He didn't want to wait for his father ...to die and then get his inheritance. He knew there was an inheritance coming from his father. He thought he knew better what to do with it. And so he asked his dad, Hey, would you just sign over my portion of the inheritance right now? I don't want to wait for you to die. I'm going to go out into the big world and, and uh, make something of myself with this inheritance. We all know that story, how he spent everything, had to come back to his dad, how he's welcomed by his dad. And really, it's a marvelous ending to what was a tragic story. And then in these stories... Uh, Jesus talks about the Pharisees whom he describes were lovers of money. And then another one of those stories there in chapter 16 was about the rich man and Lazarus. And I, I assume that most of you have read those stories. And most people, really, the way you view money, it's interesting because we can be colorblind about money. We can view money as, as morally neutral. In other words, it depends. Money is benign, but it's what you do with it that's the issue, right? And so money itself, whom in earlier translations Jesus describes as mammon, it's it's just, uh, we see it as morally neutral resource intended for short-term benefits here on the earth uh, to provide for ourselves and to provide for our family, But, uh, but that's what money is, and that's as far as it goes. Well, Let me say something to you. The Scriptures does not say that money is neutral. It says quite the opposite. It it does not describe money as an amoral commodity at all. Money is faith charged. It has something to do with sacredness. And how you view and use money colors or shapes your life because using money requires faith. Money of itself. Now, I don't have my wallet with me. It's in my case. But uh, if I were to hold up a dollar bill, you know, money of itself, uh, has no inherent value. It's just a piece of paper. Some of them have one printed on them, some five, some 10, some 20. And for all of you who have money, probably several of you have carried with you those that have 100 on them today. (laughs) No one is agreeing to that. Everyone is like, hmm, no, no, me. but it has no inherent value of a, it's a piece of paper. And, it, and because it is a piece of paper, it actually requires faith. It, it, we agree all over the planet, money it, it requires faith. When, every time we touch money, you're exercising faith. Faith in it. Faith that when you present it, it can return something of value and need to you. Faith in our economic system. The Webster defines money this way, something generally accepted as a medium of exchange, a measure of value, a means of payment. It was interesting, I read economist Franz Dorman, let me just quote for you what he said. He says, the acceptance of money is based on faith that others will accept the coins or bills at some point in the future in exchange for a good or a service, confidence or faith in money is crucial because by itself, money has no real value. The intrinsic value of paper money, bank notes or bills, is even less than that of coins. So if I were to hold up a $1 bill or a $100 bill, just a piece of paper, and a copper penny, the fact is the copper penny has more value. And so what gives that paper uh, value is faith. So let me just go and continue to read. Now, the value of currency depends more than ever on faith that people put in it. Today, money can be created at will. Today, governments can and do produce money out of thin air. And And to have it maintain its value requires faith. Undertaking this principle is a deep faith in the infallibility of the market. How you view money, it's interesting. This is a secular economist. How you view money, how you uh, use money, shapes your faith. And that's why Jesus had a lot to say about money. Roughly 15% of his teachings that we have in the Bible have to do with money. And more than heaven and hell combined, he talks about money. And so listen to what Jesus says about money. In Luke 16, 13, he says this. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other. Does that make sense to you? When it comes to masters and serving masters, you can't serve two. You, You love one or you hate the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Well that all makes sense. Then he makes this blockbuster statement. You cannot serve God and money. That's a that is a earth shaking statement. You see, Jesus is pointing out there's a conflict between God and money. It's a, it's a it's a struggle between two masters. He actually is attributing to money the a power of a personality by which you worship and you serve. This is, so what is money? Well, money is power. And it can color your heart. And the way you view or use it can shape your perspective and your attitude and your passions and your priorities. So he says, no one can serve two masters. You hate one or, and you love the other. You can't be devoted to two. You're devoted to one and you despise it. You can't serve God And money, and it's it's about a heart issue. Particularly, it's the arena of uh, the heart is the arena of faith. And whenever you touch money, money touches you. It's the way it works. It either builds your faith and love in God, depending on how you view it, or it views it affects you this way. What can I do with it? What can I uh, buy with it? It depends on how you value it, and how you view it, and how you use it. And so Jesus taught that there exists in this life uh, an either/or situation as it relates to what you worship, what is dear to your heart. It's a heart issue, what is sacred to you. It's either God or it's money. I don't know that he's spoken of anything else and gave it a godlike quality besides God and then money. He gave it a godlike quality that requires. Uh, worship requires a servitude, requires a faith in the security uh, of it. He says in Luke twelve thirty four, he says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And so he's dealing with a faith issue. He's dealing with worship. He's dealing with God-like characteristics. And he's saying, where your treasure is, that's what's going to own your heart. And then he had said, you can't serve God and you can't serve money. Jesus calls money a competing God repeatedly. In Mark 6, 24 and Luke 16, 13, he personifies money. This is earth-shaking for me. He personifies it. It's not, it's not somewhat an amoral commodity. It's not just a resource. It, is, it has personality. It has certain personal characteristics, and so he draws this parallel between God and money. Jesus describes the relationship between us and God and money in exactly the same way. Now hopefully, if you hang with me today, certain lights will come on for you as it relates to this. It's it's a relationship between servant and master. Money would use us Money would make us its servants, make us subordinate to its, to its aims, and money is considered sacred. Have you ever noticed that somehow there's an abhorrence to a church talking about money? They just want your money. They're just after your money. That's what, they go, I went to that church and they talked about money and they're just after your money. Why is that? Why is that different than any other topic? Because there's a sacred commodity about money that we will find offensive. Now, money is power. That's what Jesus is saying. It's godlike in its qualities and what it demands from us. Now, it's interesting what money does. This is the one of the more dangerous things about money: is it perverts relationships. Money corrupts so that the people will betray one another and deceive one another in order to have it. It corrupts relationships. Judas' act of betrayal to Jesus is a purchase act. He sold Jesus for money. Mark 14, 11 said they promised to give him money, so he sought an opportunity to betray him. And we all have heard stories of siblings fighting one another for inheritance and not speaking to one another and sometimes committing violence to one another because of the way money was distributed. The Bible is full of stories of people who compromised their character and their relationships and betrayed on the basis of money. Remember the story of Jacob? He wanted his inheritance. He betrayed and deceived his father and his brother so that he could have the inheritance. These are these stories are as are as modern as today. They happen today. Remember Joseph's brothers. They sold him into slavery. <laughs> he went to Egypt for uh, money. Remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira, who who wanted to be honored because in the church people were who had properties were selling properties or lands so that money could be distributed to meet the poor among them and. And they sold a piece of property, and they saw the honor these people were getting. Wow, they sold their land, and yay, what wonderful people they are. We want some of that, too. And so they sold land and come in and said, this is all of it. They lied. It was only a portion of it. And and they were told, because God revealed, they lied to the Holy Spirit. Think of it. And they were told, look, you didn't have to say that. You could have said, I sold it for this much, and we're going to give this much. That's fine. But they pretended it was everything. They wanted, they wanted, the, it colored their character. It affected their integrity. It caused them to lie to the Holy Spirit. Money is often the greatest test of character which life presents. I had a, a friend, actually I worked with him for a number of years, and he, uh, he was an older man he 's in heaven now, and uh, he he received an inheritance a small inheritance. Well, this is a godly man. it frightened him because he saw how it could begin to affect his life. <laughs> I, I thought, Bob, he gave it all away. He gave it all away. I thought, Bob, <laughs> really? yeah, because he saw what it was going to do. Uh, to him now not that's not true of everyone of course but it was true for bob and bob understood that so money is often the greatest test of our character it's it's an enslaving situation slavery is a person who's seen as a commodity to be sold and owned if you're a slave people have purchased you they They sell you. We all are aware of the dilemma of human trafficking today. But what about this? There are other kinds of slavery that are more acceptable. For instance, athletes are bought and sold. They're traded. Uh, I like baseball, and I like the St. Louis Cardinals. Some of you may particularly enjoy the Boston Red Sox that try to buy their way into the World Series every year. <laughs> the Cardinals just uh, purchased a ball player, Paul Goldsmith. They paid $130 million for him. That's a considerable amount of money. But not as much as the Phillies paid for Bryce Harper three hundred and thirty million dollars. You see, slavery is when a person is seen as a commodity to be sold, owned, or rented. It happens every day. It destroys family. And think, well he's an athlete, you know, and it's his salary and all of that. But (laughs) it's amazing to me how a athlete can walk into a club room and meet with a manager one day and be told you're moving to L.A. We've, we, we, we own you, man. We've sold your contract to someone else. Pick up your family, you're gone. Away you go. Slavery, slavery. Jesus' betrayal, is he's turned into a merchandise uh, and, and enables us to see the subordination of relationships to money. It destroys relationships. Politicians are corrupted by it. People steal it, steal it. They divorce over it. They fight over it. They murder for it. Families are divided, and families dissolve. So yesterday I was reading the news, and uh, I read about a a CBS credit union manager who over 20 years embezzled $40 million, and it was just discovered this week. How do you embezzle $40 million over the process of 20 years? And he spent it all on gambling and all kinds of extravagant things. $40 million. Jesus said you either love God or you love money. And love is an amazing thing because love leads to identification of that which you love. You become like that which you love. It's an, there's an assimilation between what you love and you and you. To love Jesus is to be connected to him it's to become like him to love Jesus is to be joined with him in everything life death resurrection and glory according to Ephesians 2 we're joined to Jesus in everything it binds us to the spiritual future of the one that we love so where your treasure is that's where your heart is where's your treasure where's your heart today and what do you value the most What would you hate most to lose? What do your thoughts turn to most frequently when you're free and you begin to think about things and imagine what you'd want? What affords you the greatest pleasure? Where your treasure is. That's where your heart is. You see, Jesus is saying to us, biblical love can't be shared. You love this or you love this. You can't love God and love money. In fact, it says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, which many have actually strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced them through with many sorrows. In First Timothy 6.10, he warns us about it. The love of money is sin. It leads to pride, and it, it leads to segregation. It leads to, to uh, domination and finding security apart from God. Remember the rich young ruler? This is a crazy story. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and I imagine that things were a little thin financially for the disciples. I mean, they're, they're walking with Jesus. They don't have much. And you know what it's like? The rich guy joins the church. He's great. The rich young ruler comes. He wants to join up. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Not only did he want to join in, but the fact is he was really a good guy. There wasn't any cleanup with this guy. He was was like packaged and ready to go in this particular group because he obeyed all the commandments. There was nothing that he was lacking in. And Jesus said, well, if you want to join up, this seems like an unreasonable statement. Go sell all that you have, give it away, to the poor, I mean, bankrupt yourself, give everything away to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And the Bible says, He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, how many of you find that particular statement of Jesus fairly unreasonable? I mean, I, I, it, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow right there. Go sell everything you have. I mean, the guy's good, he obeys all the commandments. He doesn't have any moral issues at all. He's straight out clean, man. He's better, he's better than all of us sitting in his chairs probably. He obeyed everything. But Jesus said, okay, there's one more thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Seems unfair, but the good moral use of something does not solve the real issue. Jesus saw something in him for his good that he was bound by the power of a false god. And Jesus shows him his real situation. He wants to reveal to him where his heart is, where his real faith is, where his security is. And, and he was challenged with that. command to sell all and give to the poor demonstrates where his faith is, what he's a slave to. He wouldn't have known otherwise, that he's far from grace. He's held by his power, that that money's world is the opposite of God's world. God's world is a world of grace. And he showed him that. Grace is God's action, freely willed and given. The character of God's world is that way. It's it's not to keep. It's not to possess. God's world is everything is freely given. Grace is grace because it can't be bought. He couldn't buy his way in. He can't be bought. Isaiah 55.1 says, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Grace is the opposite of money. God's world is a different kind. Grace is about giving. Grace is about Money is about selling, it's about possessing, it's about owning, but grace is about giving. It's about living in the abundance of freedom. It's a gift, and it's protected by God, and it's available to others. It's not something I keep for myself. It's available to others. But money, we get onto it. We want to hold on to it. Now, I'm not, you think, probably, you may be thinking, this guy is really impractical. I have a retirement program I have to look out for my family I'm I, I and we know what financial investors and we probably have some counselors here I not, went, went and I to not hurt your business at all that's not the point you'll find out that's not the point but have you ever noticed that advertisements are about how to secure your security as it relates to money this is where your faith is to be this is where your security is who is it, William DuVang, that he comes on the news all the time and he tells you that, that paper money and about our indebtedness and you need to buy gold and I, I want to protect what I have and I buy gold and I buy silver because that's the real money, not the paper money. But it's just metal, do you get it? What's, it's, just, it's just metal, it's the value that people put on things, it's the faith that they put on things. God's only way of acting toward us is giving. And in God's world, things aren't for sale. They're given. Yet, giving money leads to a particular freedom. I'd like to talk to you about that. Money has a sacredness about it, and it's one of the reasons people are most touchy about it. And it's one of the reasons most people don't like questions about it. And how how, how much money do you make? How do you spend your money? These are personal questions. Um, But they're actually become more personal to us than, how's your marriage gone? They become the issue that that is one of the no-go areas. That should demonstrate to you how sacred it is. Now, how do I deal with this competing God when the whole world is trying to convert me to that particular system? Well, giving money leads to a particular freedom. It's to desacralize something that the world sees as sacred it's a false god that promises to leads us to various blessings and security but but it's wrong and it demonstrates where your heart treasure is jesus said in acts 20 35 is quote it's more blessed to give than to receive now these are radical words more blessed to give than to receive this flies in the face of conventional wisdom how many of you've heard that you've all heard that's blessed to give to receive then why don't we give more why don't we give more? That's the question. It's more blessed because it's, it's the, it sounds good in theory. It becomes difficult in practice because we're dealing with something that's deeply entrenched in our heart. So why is it better to give than to receive? Because giving money attacks something that's sacred and the hold that it wants to have in our life to enslave us and to incarcerate us to a false value. Giving is an act of destruction that of something that the world values, that the legal system finds most suspect. You have to give reason for giving so much. You have to demonstrate you really did. People view giving as an abnormal act. It's absolutely unimaginable, especially if you are needy yourself. And giving is an act not only that desacralizes something that's sacred, it also is an act of consecration to God. I was at a meeting uh, quite a distance away from my home uh, after we moved to St. Louis to plant the church. We had purchased a house that had originally been a a two-bedroom house. But it had a loft area, and we thought it would be nice to add a room to this house or... It would be nice if we could take that loft area because it had a steep pitched roof and lift the roof so that we created an, a bedroom for us upstairs. So we, we, we did some investigating. We found a builder that seemed to be really, really legit, had an office downtown. All of his workers had uniforms. He had the trucks with his names on it. Well, this guy is straight up. He's a good guy. And we invited him into our house, and said we said, "We know we can add a, we can probably add a room, or we can add something to the loft, but we can't do both." And he looked at us. "Oh, yeah, you can do both. You can do both. The amount of money that you've set aside for this, absolutely, we can do both of these things." So I'm in a meeting. Equipment arrives. How many? You know, it doesn't cost much to destroy something. It costs a lot more to build it back up, and. Uh, he had a, some kind of machine there that hit a, a water main that broke and flooded our basement. Uh, they, they tore uh, up the sidewalk, uh, tore off the siding. They took the roof off the house. So, this is half the house and it has a roof off exposed to the air and then left. Took all the equipment, took everything, and left. Our house looked like a bomb had been dropped on it. And Linda calls me and says the contractor has left. All the equipment is gone. It's raining and we only have half a roof on what's left of our house. Now I remember I'm planting a church in St. Louis. And I come back and I said, God, what do you want us to do? And I remember sitting down with Linda and we're discussing what do we do? Because now we don't have the money because we've already given most of it to him we don't have the money to fix the project and as we're sitting there thinking feel God told us a couple of things we were coming up on what is now called celebration for you where we take an offering for missions like you're going to do next week and while we're sitting there I feel God what little money we had left I felt God say, I want you to give this portion to the celebration offering. And then I want you to give an equal amount to your church plant. And the third thing that we feel God's... Now, you know, the devil doesn't tell you those things. You don't, out of the graciousness of your heart, imagine doing those sort of things. So I knew this had to be God. And the other thing is, I felt God said to me, don't take him to court. Forgive him and let it go. Because because I sent you here to plant a church, and I understood that this was an attempt of the enemy to sidetrack me, and I would never have recovered those funds anyway. We didn't take him to court. We didn't challenge him. We just... Let it go. Today, we have the room on our house. We have a roof over what is now our bedroom. And I could spend a lot of time, which I can't, telling you the amazing things that transpired in a variety of ways that enabled us to complete that project. You see... Giving is an act of consecration to God and a declaration as to who I serve and where my security is. Giving is also a penetration of the world of grace into the world of greed. Biblically, money's purpose for the believer. Now, I'm sure this is your favorite verse that you have on the refrigerator. For the believer... 2 Corinthians 9.8 tells us what money is for for the Christian. Are you ready? God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. This is a chapter that talks about money. It talks about giving and calls it an act of grace. And so Therefore, he says, this is what this is for. He's able to bless you so that you would have all sufficiency in all things at all times and able to abound to every good work. You have to take it within within context, right, Mr. Hermeneutics? Isn't that right in context? And this is talking about money. Giving destroys the power of money and its hold in your life. It sets you free. It introduces the one uh, who receives and the giver himself to a world of grace. And it has to be free. It's It's never really about charity because charity affirms the superiority of the giver. It's about something that happens in the heart. It's a love relationship. And we give to God. And we give to people. It tangibly declares who we serve. Who do we have our faith in? We have our faith in a God who supplies all of our needs abundantly so that we have all sufficiency in all things. We can abound in that. We give to the needy, and we introduce them to the world of grace. So giving money presupposes that you are giving a gift of yourself. It's an act of a person who somehow is aware of money's power and will not be incarcerated by it. Giving is an act of giving of oneself. It's a declaration of who our faith is in. 2 Corinthians 8 says, they gave. First they gave themselves and then to the Lord and to us. Think of it. That's what it's about. So when I give, I'm giving myself. To the work that God's called us to do together, I'm giving and to the Lord. And we're expressing a, a consecration of our entire life to the Lord. It's a testimony. We desacralize and remove uh, the, the, the sacred status. This is what it means to desacralize. Here's, if you look it up in a dictionary, it says to remove the religious or sacred status or significance from money and give it away. You desacralize something that others view as sacred. Now, giving doesn't buy God's favor. I, I'm not able to say, God, I gave this money now. You, you must bless me. Giving is an act of love. It's, it's, it's an act of gratitude. It it's, it's, it's in, embodies freedom, and it embodies joy. If you struggle with giving, it's a sign. It's an indication. You see, there are certain truth detectors in the Bible the scripture tells us not to be anxious, but to believe God, so when i 'm anxious, that 's a truth detector i 'm not really uh, believing God, and if I struggle with a give with giving, if you struggle with giving here today, it is an indication it 's a truth detector that you really have a problem with money it's an issue in your life that you love money more than God it's a declaration of a lack of trust. You haven't understood grace. You haven't understood forgiveness. And last of all, giving, when we give, it's a, it's a prophetic act. It's a sign because it announces the day when every knee bows, including money. It's an it's act of consecration. It's an element of the kingdom in the midst of us. It's a demonstration of the greater and final kingdom that's coming it's giving as a surrender into god's hands it's a, a defiling of every other god especially the god of money laying it aside and not not giving it the value that the world wants us to give it it's the truth as linda said this morning that sets us free I uh, a few years ago at our celebration in the midwest we had a young man there uh They were going to have their first baby. And uh, uh, he had saved up the money in advance, because that's the kind of guy he was. He saved up $10,000 to pay for the medical cost of having this baby. So he had $10,000. So we presented our mission at Celebration. And in the midst of that presentation, he felt like God spoke to him and said, Give the $10,000. It's kind of like us in our house, Linda. Give it. I so love this young man because he gave his $10,000. Isn't that he irresponsible? He's got a wife. He's got a baby. I tell you, it's not re- irresponsible to put your faith in God and what God tells you to do. Because God knows what you have need of. It's a declaration of his faith and worship of God. So he wrote, he wrote the check. And he gave the $10,000. They had the baby. And the bill came from the hospital. But it really wasn't a bill. It was a letter that said that the hospital determined not to charge him anything at all. And he owed them absolutely nothing. And to this day, he does not know the reason. How many of you know hospitals don't do that? To this day, we don't know why that happened. But we do know that God knows and honors the fact that we put our faith in him. We give as a declaration that we seek first the kingdom of God. That his choice is first for us. We want to hear God. So, like every year, as it comes around to re-upping on what we're going to give I want to hear what God says to me. I don't want to look at my bank account or my income and let that be the determiner on what I give. I want to hear from God. (laughs) And if I'm a bit nervous trying to listen to God on that, it's an indicator that I've, I've, I've kind of wandered away from my full faith in God. See, now, most of you don't know this, but when you get a certain age, you do pay more attention to that because you don't have that many more years to recover. So you think about, huh, we still do this. I'm glad for the freedom that it presents to Linda and I when we listen to what God wants us to do this year. And like any church, we're engaged in mission. We're engaged in certain projects, and we're getting ready to go into a new building project. And, and so we... We consider what can we do? What does God want us to do in that? Actually, it sets us free. I can't explain it unless you've walked into that. This, the freedom of hearing what God says. The liberation that comes that sets us free from the slavery of money. That wants to incarcerate us. And wants to steal our faith. And wants to steal our heart. It's a joy. To give the treasure that we know that everything comes from God anyway, to give the treasure that he 's presented in to our hands, so let me just challenge you today: dethrone money every one of you sitting in this room know how important it, it can be to you. Dethrone it with an inner attitude and an outward action and engage in them in two weeks you 're going to have a mission offering i 'm glad to know that because in two weeks. You can do the most profane act, give and desacralize the sacredness that the world puts on money and the powers that energize money. Can't possibly abide and find root in your heart when you are a giver and demonstrate that you're a person of grace. You've understood God's grace. How much does the Lord want you to do? Does the Lord want to set you free? The rich young ruler, I go back to that and I think, what an unreasonable request. You're a good man and you've been using your resources for good. And Jesus said to him, seems so unreasonable. Granted, I am not at all trying to convey to you that this is a mandate for you, but it was for him. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Why? Because Jesus in his goodness and graciousness knew that a false and destructive God was robbing him of his true treasure. And he wanted to set him free. It's the truth that sets us free. I just trust you recognize the power of what I'm talking about. You wrestle this through with Jesus. Jesus. Jesus comes to bring us freedom from all sorts of bondage. What is your bondage? He wants to set you free.